Stand, if you will, and take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 20, 1 through 7. And uh, if you do not have a Bible, please reach in front of you to the Pew Bible. You can turn to page 43, page 43 in your Pew Bible. And we're going to read Exodus 20, 1 through 7. Exodus 20, 1 through 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed your will so clearly to us, and yet we're thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ comes between us and you and enables us to be cleansed of breaking these commandments and yet empowered to fulfill them. And so we pray that we may listen with ears to ear here this morning and that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you have prepared our pastor to preach. We come expecting to hear from you this morning, Lord, and we are eager, for we want to please you and fulfill your purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as most of you know, we're uh, continuing in our series here on the Ten Commandments, and uh, again, let me just encourage you, if you you haven't already, it's it's not too late to start uh, memorizing the Ten Commandments. Most of us, again, we know about them, we've heard of them. Um, but I'm not sure how many of us could really write them out or even say them, recite the Ten Commandments. We could probably get, you know, maybe half of them, but uh, what we have tried to provide is some tools for you to do that. And so every week, again, as a reminder, you have these uh, memorization, I was getting ready to say medication cards, (laughs) meditation cards, although they're good for medication too, they they revive the soul. And, uh, but... In each week, the card deals with the specific commandment that we're, uh, we're talking about. So for today, it's the third commandment, and uh, you see this card here. And uh, let me encourage you to even do this as an individual and as families. Um, my wife and I, we're going to start trying to get our boys to memorize. And one of the best ways to do this, if you want to really, uh, a little tip on memorization, is write it out. You can ask my youngest son, Jack, about that. Uh, this last week, he wrote out the fifth commandment. Uh, about 25 times. And so ask him. He knows the fifth commandment. And some of you are going, what's the fifth commandment? What is that real quick? Why did he have to write that out? Well, you'll have to ask him why he had to write out the fifth commandment 25 times. But he knows it. So uh, that's a good way to do it. Today we want to focus on the third commandment in Exodus chapter 20. And as Chris read for us, verse 7. Notice it again with me one more time. 
what God says in the third commandment in verse 7. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Some of your translations may say uh, you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain, or not in vain, but just misuse. And then he tells us, uh, he gives us a, a threat, if you will, a warning again, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Several years ago, the Federal Communications Commission, known as the FCC, they, uh, they kind of adopted an unspoken or unwritten list of seven bad words that were not allowed to be spoken over the airwaves, whether it's radio or broadcast TV. In fact, if you want to know what the seven bad words is, I'm not going to tell you. You can just Google seven bad words, and it'll, it'll come up for you. Uh, and so that was the Federal Communications Commission. I want to tell you today uh, that they don't hold anything to my mom. My mom also kept a list of forbidden words, except her list was much, much longer than the FCC's list. I was also taught a little song, be careful little lips what you say, be careful little lips what you say, there's a father up above who's looking down in love, so be careful little lips what you say. How many learned that song as a kid? All right, some of you. When little lips were not careful with what they said, oh, let me tell you, it was not fun being a kid in the Adrian household. The punishment was swift, and my mouth was washed out with soap. How many have had that happen to you? Oh, yeah, several. Yes, my boys have experienced that as well. So when it comes to the third commandment, let's begin with this question. Are you guilty or are you guiltless? Are you guilty or are you guiltless when it comes to the third commandment? Now, most of us tend to think this is the commandment against cussing. It's the commandment against swearing, profanity, whatever word you want to use. Many of us were raised to believe that, quote, taking God's name in vain means using the words God and damn in the same sentence. That's what this commandment forbids. So what's the problem? I mean, if we understand what this commandment means, let's just clean up our language and move on to the next commandment. Maybe this sermon only has to be five minutes long. But not so fast. I would suggest for all of us here this morning that our understanding of this third commandment is far too simplistic. We assume that if we can just avoid speaking a few bad words on a list, we're keeping the third commandment. We are guiltless. But are we really? Are we really guiltless of this third commandment? I think one of the keys to understanding this commandment here is found in that phrase, in vain. In vain. What does that mean? Well, this is a Hebrew expression that simply means lightly, frivolously, loosely, carelessly. So to take God's name in vain means to misuse it in a light, frivolous, or casual way. It's to speak about God carelessly, thoughtlessly or even flippantly, as if God didn't matter, as if God didn't really exist. God's name, as we're going to see in a few minutes here, has deep spiritual significance. So to treat God's name like something worthless is profanity in the truest sense of the word. It is a way of saying that God himself is worthless. So the main issue 
as we kind of begin here this morning, that I want us to understand the main issue of this commandment is not so much about swearing. The main issue of this commandment, notice this in your notes, is whether or not you take God seriously enough to honor his name. This is the heart of the commandment. It's the main issue. Do you take God seriously enough in your personal life that you will do everything you can to honor him and his name. The reality is people have been dishonoring and profaning God's name for centuries. This is nothing new. In fact, you could go to the book of Psalms. Asaph addressed the same issue in his generation when he said in Psalm 75, 18, remember how the enemy has mocked you, O Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. And today is no different. We live in a culture that regularly mocks God and takes his name in vain. But what did Jesus teach us to pray even in the New Testament? Remember what he said in Matthew? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He starts out with the Lord's Prayer and teaching us to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. John Calvin says to hollow, the majesty of God's name means that we are not to profane his name by treating it contemptuously and irreverently. We should be zealous and careful to honor his name with godly reverence, he says. So this third commandment, it forbids us to take God's name in vain and instead to take God seriously enough to honor his name in our lives. But what does that mean? What does it mean to honor God in our lives? What, what does this commandment look like when we break it? What does this commandment look like when we keep it? And why is God's name so important? Why does God give us this commandment to begin with? Well, let's answer these questions here this morning. And the first question I want us to answer is, why should we honor God's name? Why did God give us this commandment? Now, let's begin with the obvious point. Names are important. Do you agree with that? Sure you do. After all, your name is important to you. It may not be important to anyone else in the world, but your name's important to you. You care about your name because it identifies who you are. How important is a name? Well, in 1961, a convict escaped from prison, and for 28 years, he managed to elude capture by living under an assumed name. But in April of 1889, he voluntarily turned himself in. Why would he do such a thing? Well, when he was asked why he turned himself in, Sylvan Carter said, I want my own name on my tombstone. Names are important. A person's name is important. In fact, think of how much time parents spend naming their kids. Remember how much time you spent naming your kids? I mean, today, we gather all the information. We spend hours reading through baby book names or researching it on the Internet, going through lists, coming up with lists of names that we like and don't like, and then we say them out loud so we kind of hear how they go with the last name of the child. That doesn't sound good. That sounds good. I like that. I don't like that. We debate it. We discuss it. And then you go to the hospital, the baby's born, and we still are debating what to call the child. We spend hours. Why? Because a person's name is important. But one thing that is certain in all of this, and get this, parents 
will do the naming of the child. You see, we don't name ourselves. Our full names are given, not chosen, which shows that naming is an act of authority. But the one of the remarkable things about God is that no one ever named him. God's true name is chosen and revealed by God himself. God has his own naming rights, you could say. And this is a sign of his sovereign authority. Now, did you notice how God refers to himself in this commandment? It's interesting. He refers to himself in the third person. God does not simply say, you shall not take my name in vain. That's first person. But rather, God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Third person here. Now, there's a reason for this. God is very meticulous in why he's doing what he's doing in the Ten Commandments. God is calling attention to his special covenant name, Yahweh. Or sometimes it's, it's transliterated as Jehovah. And it all comes from the same word that's in your Bibles, which is Lord. In fact, you may notice that in the commandments and in the Old Testament, often the name Lord is capitalized. There's a reason for that. Because the name Lord there is his covenant name. It's his revealed name, his special name, Yahweh, Jehovah. God's name is not to be confused with or viewed on an equal par with any of the false gods of Egypt, which Israel had just came out of, or with the false gods of Canaan, in which now his children are getting ready to conquer. And God wants to make sure his children understand that, that he and he alone is the sovereign God, creator, redeemer. Yahweh is the one true God. And he alone is Lord. In fact, this is the same name that God revealed to Moses in the desert through the burning bush in Exodus. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Just notice that in your notes there. And it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, there it is, Yahweh, Jehovah. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God's revealed name of Yahweh literally means I am who I am. It speaks that name of God's self-existence, his self-sufficiency, and his supreme sovereignty. In fact, as the events of the Exodus began to unfold, it also testified to God's saving power to his people. So what's in a name? And specifically, what's in God's name? Well, as we begin to unpack the meaning of God's name, it quickly becomes obvious that, notice this in your notes, that God's name is more than just a title. It's more than just a title. God's name proclaims who God is in what God has done. God's name declares his character. It declares his reputation. It represents his whole identity. You see, this is one of the differences between us and God. You see, for us, in our culture today, a name, well, let's be honest, it's just a label. It's just a label. It's something we have. It's not something we are. 
A name for us is something we write on a name tag at a conference so people know what to call us by. And that's about the significance of a name for us in this, our culture here. But for the Israelites, the name was inseparable from the person. It expressed the person's inward identity. Therefore, when we use the name of God, we are referring to the essence of his divine being. For example, Solomon writes in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Jeremiah 10.6 says, no one is like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. This is why David saying in Psalm 8.10, O Lord, your Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David was praising God, not simply for his name, but for being the God who made all the things for his own glory. So why should we honor God's name? Well, first of all, because the name of the Lord is befitting his level of majesty and deity. God has made a name for himself as the creator, as the sovereign almighty God, and now he's beginning to reveal himself to the children of Israel as the redeemer. This was the whole point of the Exodus. God was saving his people for his glory. And the same is true for us today when God redeems us from the bondage of our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. He saves us, get this, for the glory of his name. So to take God's name in vain, well, it's to dishonor his authority. It's to profane his character and it's to declare his works as worthless. No wonder God, in giving these Ten Commandments, he declares that his name must be spoken and must be heard with reverence. Honoring God's name is a big deal to him. Now, let's be honest here. Let's be up front. It's not that big a deal to us, though. Because we don't take God seriously enough in our lives. Which brings us to our second question. How do we profane God's name today? How do we profane God's name today? God says in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 12, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The word profane. We're familiar with that word. We've heard it often. But what does it actually mean, profane? It, it, it speaks of defiling that which is holy or worthy of reverence. It's, it's treating something sacred with neglect or disrespect. In other words, to profane something is an attack on something holy. It's an attempt to take something that is exalted and jerk it down to our level. What does this mean, then, to profane God's name? Well, it's nothing less than a denial of his holiness and majesty and power. It's an attempt to somehow pull God down to a common level and make him equal with me, which now goes to the first two commandments. And that's the grave and serious mistake of taking God's name in vain, profaning it, misusing it. So in what ways do we do this? In what ways today do we profane, misuse, 
dishonor the name of the Lord. Well, I want to, there's several ways, but let me give you five ways in which I think we, we, we profane, we break this commandment today. Number one, we profane God's name through perjury in our vows. Through perjury in our vows. Now, perhaps some of you, you would never connect perjury or promise breaking with the third commandment. Perhaps that's never crossed your mind before. But I want you to consider just how flippantly we speak. Tell me the truth, we cry, because we know we don't tell the truth. Promise me, we say, because we know we don't keep our own promises. Think about it. We lack commitment to our words in this generation. How quickly we break our marriage vows. How we make appointments and then we show up 30 minutes late. Or we swear not to tell a soul and then the next day we post it on Facebook. Or we promise to do something for a friend and then, quote, something else just comes up and we never show up. You see, the truth is, or I should say truth doesn't mean very much to us. We don't take it seriously. But what does this have to do with taking God's name in vain? Well, consider again what Leviticus 19.12 says. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. You see, when we take an oath and lie, or when we make a promise and break it, we are profaning God's name. And some of you are saying, well, how can that be? I never even used God's name in my oath or in my promise. Well, because when we take an oath and make a promise, listen to me, we are doing so in the presence of God, whether we realize it or not. You say, he, he is there whether we use his name or not. All promises, all vows are made in God's presence. William Barclay, I love what he says. He's a he's uh, passed away commentator, theologian, and he says this. You cannot possibly keep God out of any transaction. For God is everywhere present. And whether his name is mentioned or not, he is there present when any promise is given or taken. All promises and pledges are made in the presence of God. So the very first way that we profane, dishonor, misuse God's name is through perjury in our vows, in our promise making. The second way is we profane God's name through profanity in our mouths. Now, this is what people normally think the third commandment is all about. And there is an aspect of truth to that. Did you hear about the farmer who was late home to dinner? Did you guys hear about that farmer? who was late home for dinner, he told his wife, or his wife said to him, did the wagon break down? And the farmer said, no, on the way home, I offered a ride to the preacher, and from that point on, the mules didn't understand a thing I said. Some of you will get that. Today, as you know, for, and it's not just our generation, it's in all generations, but today especially, it's common for people to call down divine damnation on whatever or whoever happens to be a source of frustration, irritation, or whoever angers them. People use the name of Jesus Christ today. It's just kind of an exclamation point at the end of whatever they're talking about. And this profanity reveals just how godless our culture has become. But it also shows that we can never get away from God. Have you ever noticed that people can't seem to swear without using God's name? 
It's ironic. Why is that? I mean, what does it tell us about the human condition? Well, like everything else, people say profanity that spews from our mouth is really coming from our heart. You see, when people profane God's name, it shows that deep down they know there really is a God. Their profanity is a direct rebellion against his honor. But as Christians, listen, again, let's just be honest here this morning. Let's just be up front. And I think we, we find we're all in the same boat together on this. That we're just as guilty of profanity in our mouths. True, most of us, we try not to curse. We try not to swear like the world does. At least not out loud or when anyone else is listening. We just use slang instead. You all know what I mean by slang. Which is just watered down profanity. Such as, gosh darn it. Oh my gosh. What the heck? Good Lord. Dadgummit. Right? Man, I'm just as guilty of this. I, my anger gets the best of me sometimes and comes out. But let's, again, it's just it's slang. It's watered down profanity. You may think this is no big deal. But let's be honest. It's just a more polite way to curse. You could call it Christian cursing. (laughs) And don't you think God sees right through all that, right down to our hearts? In fact, profanity may be a better indication of our true spiritual condition than what we sometimes realize. After all, the Bible always links what comes out of our mouths with our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So admit it or not, like it or not, mouth speaks what is in the heart. The way you talk is the way your heart is. And the Lord knows that. The Bible says that the way an individual speaks is an accurate barometer of his or her heart. So, another way we profane God's name is through profanity in our mouths. Number three, a third way, we profane God's name through heresy in our doctrine. Through heresy in our doctrine. Remember, the revelation of God's name is a revelation of God's character and his works, his reputation. You could say that God's name implies an entire theology about God. In fact, if you did a study of all the names of God through the Old Testament, you would learn an awful lot about God, who he is, and what he does. Therefore, to profane God's name is to misrepresent him, and thus to bear false witness against him. We have no right to deny any aspect of God's character against or any aspect of his name, or redefine God to fit our thinking. But this is what we do when we take his name in vain through false doctrine. You see, the issue of biblical Christianity versus cultural Christianity is so relevant for us today. And we don't have time to elaborate elaborate what all the issues are here. But let me just say this. When God's truth is, is twisted, to conform to the mood of the culture, 
the very basis of the gospel is undermined. God's name is mocked and the third commandment is violated. Listen, as God's people, we are called to proclaim with confidence what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 12, 4. He says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. A fourth way we profane God's name is through flippancy in our conversations. And if I could be so bold, folks, we are guilty of flippancy. We are guilty of flippancy in our conversations when we take God's name, which is holy, and treat it casually, loosely, or irreverently. And we do this when we sprinkle God's name in our conversations in a manner that is superficial or insincere, whether it is referring to God as Quote the man upstairs. Or God is my co-pilot. Or using Christian cliches such as praise the Lord without really meaning it. Listen, we are guilty of profaning God's name. As Dr. Albert Moeller writes in his book, if we could only hear ourselves talk. Such chattering of religious nonsense. Just listen to our talk about God. And as we think about this, I would suggest that the problem with our flippancy in our conversations about God is that we just don't take God seriously enough. We don't understand who he is and what he's done. We'll avoid a list of forbidden words, and yet we'll take the Lord's name in vain by the sheer triteness and cheapness of how we speak when talking about God. Yes, God is worthy to be praised, but he's not the man upstairs and he's not your co-pilot. God reveals himself as the great I Am who saves his people from their sin. He rules over all the earth and no one can limit his power. His name is the Lord. And then lastly, we profane God's name through hypocrisy in our worship. This is perhaps the most subtle and yet the most common way we as believers, especially here in America, profane God's name. As Philip Ryken writes in his book, he says, we do not recognize God's true glory when we come into his presence for worship. Our thoughts wander when we pray. Our eyes pass over the pages of Scripture, but our minds are not open to God's Word. And when we sing, our hearts are not in tune with our voices. Listen, as we look at the church today, it's tempting to wonder whatever happened to God. There seems to be so little reverence, so little trembling before His majesty. Instead, we just take God so lightly. David Wells calls this the, the weightlessness of God. Albert Moeller, again, identifies the problem when he writes, the horizon of our worship is simply too low. We welcome God to our service as if he is a guest. We take the Lord's name in vain in our superficial worship, and our worship betrays us, demonstrating what we genuinely believe in our hearts. But hypocrisy in worship... Let me tell you, it's nothing new. 
God's people had been struggling with this sin for years. God rebuked his people for their hypocrisy all the way back in Isaiah 29, verse 13, when God says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That is the definition of worship hypocrisy. Now, understand, anytime our worship is casual, careless, and insincere, we are dishonoring God's name. These are just some of the ways in which we misuse God's name. But did you notice that there's a threat attached to this third commandment? It says in the second part of Exodus 20, verse 7, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, do you know what that means? That's kind of interesting. It means there is guilt among us, and there is guilt all around us. (laughs) We're all in the same boat. It means God is not a toy you can casually play with, and then when you're done, just put it back on the shelf. It means God takes his name with such seriousness that he will defend his name. So what happens when we break this third commandment here? Well, notice it in your notes. Plain and simple, God is crystal clear. We are guilty before God, and he will judge us for our sin. What's interesting is God doesn't tell us what the precise punishment will be. In fact, the threat here in this commandment seems to be understated. God just says, we're all guilty, which means he will judge us for our sin. And the reason God will judge us is because taking his name, again, is a very great sin in his eyes. It is a direct attack on God's honor and glory. And anyone who makes such an attack deserves to be condemned in God's eyes. I like what Gary North, how he describes this. He, he says that in order to make a worldwide reputation for himself, God has graciously licensed the use of his name to anyone who will use it according to his written instructions. It needs to be understood, however, that God's name has not been released into the public domain. God retains legal control over his name and threatens serious penalties against the unauthorized misuse of this supremely valuable property. In other words, the abuse or misuse of God's name not only hurts his reputation in the world, but God is wanting us to understand that it has consequences for the abuser. Now, folks, there are several examples in the Bible of people who broke this very commandment and suffered severe consequences. One of the most shocking consequences occurred in Leviticus chapter 24 when a man blurted out a curse against God. And you know what the consequence was? They took him out back behind the camp And the people stoned him to death. Are you shocked? Are you shocked by that kind of consequence? Listen, don't be. Think about this. Great celebrities. Celebrities you know right now in our world today, what do they do? They pay millions of dollars to protect their name. 
Major corporations like Walt Disney World, Coca-Cola, you name it, any 100, Fortune 100 company, 500 company, they spend millions of dollars hiring attorneys to make sure their corporate name is not misused. Why would we think God would do anything less? Whose name is above all names. Whose name is the only one worthy to be praised and honored. The message is clear in this commandment. God's name is above all names. And he will deal with us who misuse it. And I hope you're beginning to see that this third commandment has everything to do with our worship. It has everything to do with our heart's condition and with the knowledge and ignorance of the one true God. We live in a culture that ignores God and profanes his name, and yet we as believers in Christ, we must make every effort to honor his name. God's name must be exalted at home, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, where your kids play, where you play. It doesn't matter. It's anywhere you live, play, and work. We are to exalt the name of God through our lips and through our lives. And this brings us to our final question. How can we protect God's name? How can we, as believers in Jesus Christ, protect the name of God? We want to honor and protect God's name. Listen, if for no other reason than because salvation has come to us by calling on the name of the Lord, right? You can go read it in Romans 10, 13. And there are many ways we can protect God's name. God's name can be praised. It can be honored, blessed, and celebrated. His name can be lifted on high and exalted. It can be worshipped and adored. But one of the best places to learn how to honor God's name is in the book of Psalms. Psalms 29.2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Psalm 66.2 says, Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, in all that is within me. Bless his holy name. By telling us to honor God's name, the third commandment, you know what it is reality doing? It is helping us and motivating us and challenging us to honor God himself. And this is the key to protecting God's name. Notice this in your notes, the key. It is truly loving God for who he is and what he has done for you. Listen, I'm convinced that the key to honoring God's name is a growing, passionate relationship with God. If you truly love God, you will never come close to dishonoring his name. You will take God seriously enough to honor Him and His name. Think about it. When you come to see, when you come to realize and see God for who He is and what He has done for you, there's no way in the world you could ever treat Him casually. Why? You love Him too much. Think about this in in a marital relationship. When a husband truly loves his wife, what will that husband make sure is done. He will do everything within his power to honor his wife and to protect her name, if you will, because her name represents her. 
Show me a husband who speaks badly about his wife. And I'll show you a husband who doesn't honor his wife because he doesn't love his wife. We are in the same kind of relationship with God. The bottom line is this. People who love God honor his name. People who don't love God don't honor his name. And to honor one's name is the same as honoring them personally. Let's go back here to the very first question that we asked at the beginning of the message. Remember that question? The question was, are you guilty or guiltless when it comes to the third commandment? The truth is, if I could, again, be so bold, and I put myself in the same boat, we are all guilty of breaking this commandment, folks. So the next question becomes, well, so what do we do? What should we do when you break this commandment, or for that matter, any commandment? Well, God tells us, and you know this verse very well, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Now, let me just stop right there. And again, let it sink in. Let's remind ourselves. You look at those five ways we profane God's name. And I, here's, here's the challenge. Folks, listen to me. The challenge is to identify, all right, where am I guilty in one of these five areas? And I promise, if you're walking away going, oh, I'm not guilty in any of those five. Ask God to search your heart a little more. <laughs> and it's a sin. Let's just call it what it is. And God says right out front, if we confess the sin of breaking this commandment, he is faithful and he is just to what? Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. In other words, he makes us righteous and clean all over again before him. We need to confess our sin of dishonoring God's name, even when we're just using the slang. And I, this is where, you know, most of us are guilty here. We're actually all of it, the hypocrisy on where you name it. Because God has said, and we better take him serious on this, he will not hold us guiltless. And we will discover this for ourselves at the final judgment. Do you realize people, and this is amazing to me, people will keep using God's name in vain all the way up to the day of judgment. Do you realize that? Jesus says, listen, in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, listen to his words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, there's the name, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, who are you? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The breaking of the commandments. Shocking. 
at the final judgment, listen, there will be people who think they know Jesus, but will be condemned to hell. And the reason is because they were taking God's name in vain all along. Yes, God's name was often on their lips, but his name was not in their hearts. There was no confession of their sin. There was no admitting of guilt to God that I'm a sinner and I need your salvation, God. I need the salvation that is provided through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the sin for me so that I don't have to pay for the sins. But folks, if we don't take the truth of that and make it real for ourselves in our hearts, where there's a repentance of our sin, we will find ourselves in the same category as these people in Matthew chapter 7. Let me ask you, are you one of these people or are you a true believer of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is in your heart. Now, something else will also happen at the final day of judgment. This is the good part. That is the name of Jesus will truly be praised. Do you realize that too? We're in Exodus chapter 20 right now in the Old Testament. But as we move all across the scriptures to Philippians chapter 2, we begin to understand that God has highly exalted his son and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And a day will come, Jesus, or the Apostle Paul says, when at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, if that is the honor that Jesus will receive at the end of history, it is also the honor that Jesus deserves right now. For the honor and for the glory of his name. Notice this last point in your notes here. It all comes down to this. Here is the bottom line. As believers in Jesus Christ, Listen, we should be doing everything within our means with how we live to honor God's name. That's what God is imploring with us in this third commandment here. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me just shed a different light here in one last sentence on this commandment. Do you realize keeping this commandment of honoring God's name and his son's name. Listen, it points people to the sovereign God who desires to redeem the world. See, here's the deal. This is a testimony to a lost world. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. The children of Israel, they are coming out of bondage. God has promised them this land of Canaan, the promised land. He calls them out. He wants them to be different. He wants them to live a different way than the world around them. He knows they worship false God. He says, honor me and honor my name. Lift me up. And it's through that that people would look on their lives and know, hey, something's going on with them. They are a different people. They serve a different God who is a redeeming God and a saving God. I want in on that. 
And of course, we know the history of the children of Israel. They didn't honor God's name. They become just like the world in which they were living, and there was no difference. In God, the consequences came. We're in the New Testament here. But the application is the same. When we honor God's name with our lips, but more importantly, even with our lives, we are a testimony. We are a light to this world. And let me tell you, that light shines bright in this world. Now do you see the bigger picture of why God is so serious about his children honoring his name? It's a testimony for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus has done for us because of God's love for this world and because of the holiness of God's name and what he stands for. So we all ought to stop and ask, all right, how am I doing on that? Whoa, this isn't just a commandment against swearing. I thought if I didn't use a few cuss words, I could claim myself as guiltless. But I would suggest to us this morning, oh, if we look in our hearts, we are all guilty. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and as that comes and, and sings again, just a, a one verse of a song here, this is our time to respond. It, it's why we do this, to respond to God, to respond to his word of what has been proclaimed, what we have heard. And so right where you're at, let me challenge you to go before God to, in a sense, can't physically kneel in your seat, but you can kneel your heart to God Almighty and confess sin if need be, ask him to forgive you, recommit your life to honoring him with your life and through your lips. Will you respond to him this morning?